electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, Tesla speaks to investors and fails to impress. CNBC's Phil LeBeau with the story. What people want is a little more specificity regarding a timeline and production amount. EVs revving their engines for the race ahead. Ford's former CEO, Mark Fields. But automakers like Ford with their Mach-E and Lightning and Hyundai uh, with their uh, uh, Ionic vehicles are starting to make a lot of progress. So I think it's going to be very interesting. But Tesla still has the leg up on the competition. And Clear Skies, biometric security company Clear eyeing more eyeballs. CEO Karen Seidman-Becker and the traveler traffic driving her business. We are incredibly bullish on the travel industry and think the surge is going to continue. I think you have sort of a coiled spring of people who stayed home for three years. Plus, a rise in bond yields. Ooh, exciting, I swear. And a rebuke in the Senate for the administration's proposed rule on investing with environmental, social, and governance issues in mind. Everybody's got an echo chamber. I don't watch certain cable channels. I don't. I can't. I won't. Do not like green eggs. <laughs> it's Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. Stop me if you've heard this one. Investors on Wall Street are worried about the Federal Reserve hiking interest rates. And not just a hike, but a larger hike than anticipated. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Investor worry has triggered a rise in bond yields, 20- and 30-year Treasury yields hitting above 4% after strong economic data like a rosier labor market showed that the road to inflation at just 2%, which is where the Fed wants to get, well, that road remains long and winding. And let's take a look at Treasury yields, too. Joe, I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but the uh, 10-year crossed above 4% for the first time since November of last year. Still sitting there now at 4.02%. Two-year at 4.885, ever so slightly lower. But we've been waiting and kind of trying to figure out if the Fed was going to be believed and if the market would have to play catch up with that or if it was going to be a situation where they seem to not believe that the Fed's actually going to keep rates higher for longer. November, December, January, February. So for four months, what they didn't believe. Four months, yeah. I mean, we hit it. Why would we hit it in November and not hit it again until now when the because, Fed... Because the numbers, there, there were concerns, more concerns about the economy, I think, at that point. Right. Thinking but that the Fed's hand was going to get forced to come back. Just in terms of interest, we've seen the subsequent hikes, a couple of 50s and yeah. a 25, and the 10-year continued to trade below 4% in the face of all those hikes and all the rhetoric and all the, you know, we're going higher for longer, all the, the j Powell testimony, all the minutes, everything that happened, it stayed below. It's back to where it is now, but I still think that's, I don't know, that somehow does uh, indicate something. Well, back in November, it was was significantly higher. It was 4.117 or something. And as sick as the world is, um, there was some good news on the cover of the Wall Street Journal that the job market is 
is getting bad, or at least is indicating that it might not be as good. Robust uh, U.S. labor market shows fresh signs of cooling. So, you know, is that good news? Well, might the, be. The other but, thing I saw is that labor uh, wage gains are not keeping pace. And, and that's crazy to think of when you are still looking at such a tight jobs market. You would think that right. the, the, the wages would continue to go up. I, I don't know what that's a reflection. And it's a circular argument, isn't it? It's, it's we're worried about wage gains causing inflation, but the wage gains we're seeing aren't even keeping up with the inflation that they're causing. So it's nutty. The ESG rule that we're going to vote on later today is just another example of how our administration prioritizes a liberal policy agenda over protecting and growing. Uh, protecting and growing the retirement accounts of 150 million Americans that will be in jeopardy. The A's uh, on this vote are 50, the nays are 46, and the joint resolution is passed. Under the previous order, the Senate will resume legislative session. The, the Senate voted yesterday to overturn a Labor Department uh, rule that permits retirement fund managers to consider ESG factors like climate change and corporate governance, and even uh, the S in ESG when making investments on behalf of pension plan participants. The rule overturned a Trump-era regulation that required managers of federally governed pension funds to limit investment decisions only to what would generate the highest returns, the fiduciary responsibility to shareholders. It's a thought. The final vote in the Senate was 50 to 46 with, and I use the term loosely here, with Democrats Joe Manchin and John Tester is a Democrat crossing party lines, but Manchin the other night um, would not say whether he's a Democrat anymore. He just stay, he well, was asking. He's getting said, ready for election too, right? He, well, he might ready pull ready a cinema right. or something. She's not. She's. Well, you asked him about that. I did. We saw him in Davos, and he yeah. didn't. He didn't really, you know, he he wasn't that enthusiastic about saying yes. I'm a Democrat at this point. Almost the final day. Oh, of Davos. thank God. <laughs> if I thought about just me getting elected, I'm in the wrong. I, I've never done that. I've been this 40 years. They don't look at this Joe Manchin, the Democrat. That's Joe Manchin, this or that. They just said, that's Joe. He's from you West might be an independent, right? I'm as independent as it gets. Are you going to be an independent? Well, I mean, how much more independent can I get? The House version of this, but West Virginia, I mean, they vote for Republicans. Like, yeah. The House version of this bill passed Tuesday with the support of every Republican and one Democrat. President Biden uh, has said he will veto this bipartisan bill for contact. They, it, one side only really likes bipartisanship when it's... The other side coming to them it doesn't really work this way. Uh, for context, Isn't that all of us. <laughs> no, no, no. When we hear, when you're in the media and you say bipartisanship, you expect Republicans to be switching. No, I mean just all of us. Don't we all just like when everybody else conforms to our viewpoint? I, yes. I, I, I want us to agree as long as you agree with me. Right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> That's from watching, uh, that's because everybody's got an echo chamber now with what they watch. I don't watch certain cable channels. I don't. I can't. I won't. It's, I, life is too short and my health is too important. I do not like green eggs and <laughs> I do not like I do green, not like green eggs, Sam, I am. Uh, green eggs and hemp. For context, the S&P energy sector is up 53% uh, since the beginning of 2022. I was talking about like QVC. I, Excellent. I just, That's a good idea to stay away from I don't, it. I can get addicted. Certain cable channels. Uh, including big oil company, big oil. Al Gore. Big oil companies like Chevron and Exxon. In that same time period, uh, the top ESG funds were each down uh, more than 20%. I don't understand why President Biden would veto this one. I, or where, I, I'm, I'm confused by the politics and how it plays out here. Like, who's doing You what? haven't been watching for two years? No, but, he... the, but the Senate, it, it's his people who are sending No, but it's only those two outliers. Look, the other, you know, the other um, 
how many are there, 48, whatever it is, the other 49 members of the Borg collective were all on board with, they never, I'm surprised that, that they, I don't know what's gonna happen to these two guys. I wouldn't wanna be walking around the Senate floor with uh, In the with Senate, you're allowed to speak your mind. You are. Three, two, one. Engines full power, and lift off the cruise pick. Go Dragon, go Falcon. Breaking overnight, NASA and SpaceX successfully launching a Crew Dragon spacecraft from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. The rocket took off at 12.34 a.m. Eastern Time. It was en route to the International Space Station. The spacecraft is carrying two NASA astronauts, one Russian cosmonaut, and a mission specialist from the UAE. An earlier launch attempt was scrubbed on Monday because of technical issues with the flow of ignition fluid. Kind of uh, interesting, isn't it? We still sort of cooperate. Yeah, with, with the Russian cosmonaut. I was thinking yeah. the same thing. And in space, it's still, uh, yeah, the cooperation to be there. I guess we should take some solace in that. Cheese will be next. Coming up, Tesla's long-term plan. Well, the EV company CEO Elon Musk took to the stage for his first investor day in years. And it may have fallen short on specifics. Former Ford CEO Mark Fields breaks it down for us. You got Tesla, which started out as a software and a battery company uh, and is becoming also a manufacturing company. On the other side, you have the established car makers who are basically manufacturing and engineering organizations trying to become software and battery companies. Squawk Pod will be right back. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. My name is Zach Kirkhorn. I lead finance here at Tesla. And welcome to our investor day. Part one, Elon Musk and Drew Baglino. Tesla shares are falling after the company's investor day a presentation failed to impress the street. Phil LeBeau. Uh, joins us now uh, with more. Hey, Phil. Hey, Joe. This was a presentation that was long on a grand vision for the future, but very short on details about what's coming up in the near future. And that's what people wanted. So when you look at the Tesla Investor Day, so much of the message over the course of an hour and a half was about driving down costs, increasing the scale, especially as the company ramps up production dramatically over the next 5, 10, 15 years. There is going to be a lower cost next generation model. They talked about it. They just didn't give us any specifics, a name, a type of vehicle, a price point. But they did say that it will be built at the company's sixth final assembly plant, which has been confirmed. We're excited to announce that that. Uh the next uh, uh, Tesla Gigafactory will be in Mexico uh, near Monterey. 
Now, I do want to emphasize we will continue to expand production at all of our existing factories. Those existing factories include the Gigafactory in Austin, where they held the Investor Day yesterday. Tesla's annual deliveries, long term, they still believe that eventually they can get to delivering 20 million vehicles annually. Whether or not that's going to happen within the next 10 years, 15 years, hard to say. But Elon Musk was asked about the issue of affordability and demand and whether or not demand is falling off for Tesla vehicles. He says no way. The desire for people to own a Tesla is extremely high. The limiting factor is their ability to pay for a Tesla, not do they want a Tesla. Um, it's, it's easy for people in this room to lose sight of that. He went on to talk about the fact that when they cut prices, when they had to do that uh, within the last month or two, they noticed the surge in demand, which is what everybody has talked about. Uh, so they still have the pricing power, and he believes they ultimately have the ultimate lever, which is greater demand than many people appreciate at this point. As you take a look at shares of Tesla, they also confirmed that production guys of the lithium plant that they're building down on the Gulf uh, near, uh, I think it's near Houston, uh, is going to begin in about 12 months. So they're going to have refined lithium coming out of this plant, they expect, in about 12 months. This is part of that, you know, vertical integration, putting everything all in one supply chain that they can control. Hey, hey Phil, can I ask a question? I, I know the disappointment is over him not making more specific things, saying, hey, we're going to have this $25,000 yeah. car by this date. I mean, every time he makes proclamations like, like that, people complain because they often don't come true. Is this just a case of him being a little more cautious? I think it's a little bit of that, Becky. But, but keep in mind, when people have complained in the past, it's because he said outrageous things. We're going to have a million robo-taxis on the road in 2020. He said that in 2019 or 2018 to 2019. One of those that immediately, I mean, people were like, okay, this is the most ridiculous thing in the world. You're not even building a million cars. So those are the kind of statements that in the past have made people roll their eyes at Elon Musk's pronouncements. The next generation vehicle and lack of details is a little bit different because the company has said, we're going to build it. Now, what Wall Street and what investors want to know is, okay, are we talking about 2024, 2025? I mean, it's not an outrageous idea. It is something that they are working on. What people want is a little more specificity regarding a timeline and production amount, things that will help them say, okay, I can see them getting to this level of sales, let's say by 25 or 26. And you, you don't know whether it's going to be named after a number or a letter. A lot of letters left. A lot of letters left. A lot yeah, of, a lot you of know people what? believe it's going to be called the Model 2. There's, going to be, there's even more numbers left, I think. I think I'm right on this. <laughs> than, yes, letters. than letters. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. To infinium. Infinity. Then the other thing I was thinking, 20 million in a year. So you go to the mall. You park. Your Model Endless. Model Ys. Which one is mine? And is it... They're all white and blue and red, and you need a boop, boop. You need yeah, you to just, do that. You just tell it to come get you. Yeah, I guess Back maybe. Back up and come get you. Phil, they that all would look be your alike. Nightmare, Joe. I don't wanna, that would be I, your nightmare. He's got to start doing something with it. I know it's, this is the new way to do things, but can you imagine they're working, if the mo They're working on, re they're working they on refreshing the Model Y. Yeah. Now, the question is, how much do they refresh? But right now, when they go by me, it's like if you parked it and you happen to forget which exit you took it to, you'd never find your car.
unless someone helped you because they all <laughs> look the same. Thanks, Phil. Joining us right now is Mark Fields. He's the former CEO of Ford and a CNBC contributor. Mark, to be fair, the stock may be off by 7.5% or so this morning, but if, if you look at a year to date, that stock is up by about 87%. So there, there was a lot of expectation and a lot of buildup in the shares heading into it. Yeah, you're exactly right, Becky. I mean, when you do an investor day, you usually go out, you talk about the company's strategy, you announce either new products or services and you show them, and then you lay out very concrete financial targets, whether it's revenue growth, uh, margins, profitability. And clearly in this event, they only did the first thing. That being said, they did lay out a lot of enablers and gave a lot of content on the manufacturing and engineering efficiencies that they're putting in place to uh, reduce costs, which is key to Tesla continuing to grow and deliver you know, more affordable products off the next generation platform that they talked about. Right. I, I think another key point was that Musk introduced a lot of the other top executives at, at Tesla. And that's certainly because of the questions that have been asked about his ability. He's been spread so thin by all the other companies he's running and especially how much time that Twitter seems to have taken up from him at this point. Um, I guess this to me, even though it may not be what a normal company might be doing at an investor day, it seemed like more normal than the usual Tesla investor day, I think. It, it, he didn't make these grand proclamations. He didn't promise things that there's no way you're going to be able to deliver. You're exactly right, Becky. This was, this was more a, a traditional kind of investor day. To your point, uh, they trotted out a number of executives that they hadn't shown in any previous presentations to really take away at least some of the concern that they have about Musk and you know, the fact that he's, you know, distracted maybe by some of the other business ventures. So they showed or they tried to show, obviously, the strength of the, the bench. But they talked about meat and potato kind of things in the auto industry around, you know, how they're driving costs down to improve their margins, what they're doing in terms of supporting the infrastructure for charging and talking about, you know, in very vague terms, new products that are coming down the pike. So you're right. Compared to previous presentations, it was dialed down about a level of uh, five to 10. Okay, and what has to happen next? I mean, everybody keeps talking about all the competition that's out there, but it's hard for anybody to kind of catch up with the gains that Tesla already has, the, the, the first mover advantage and a lot of the research that they've done. Uh, I mean, what do you think this market for EV looks, looks like a couple of years from now? Well, I do think, you know, to get mass adoption, you have to get the, the pricing down to, you know, the thirty dollars to $35,000 range. That's where the market is really going to take off. And it's, it's very interesting. You've got Tesla, which started out as a software and a battery company uh, and is becoming also a manufacturing company. On the other side, you have the established car makers who are basically manufacturing and engineering organizations trying to become software and battery companies. And so the key is gonna come down to who wins is around appealing product and around you know, the software or the user interface. It's around cost leadership and it's around consistent execution. And Tesla right now is one generation ahead of the auto, other, other automakers, but automakers like Ford with their Mach-E and Lightning and Hyundai uh, with their uh, uh, Ionic vehicles, are starting to make a lot of progress. So I think it's going to be very interesting, but Tesla still has the leg up on the competition. And I think they demonstrated that yesterday. Where's your money on all of this, though, if you had to pick a winner a couple of years from now? Well, I don't think there's going to be one winner. There's going to be a number of winners and there's going to be a number of losers because when you look at the adoption of EVs over time, I mean, this is a huge addressable market. You know, in the next couple of years, you're going to see a global market of about 100 million vehicles. So I think you're, you know, you're going to see, you know, 
uh, businesses like Tesla, which are going to continue to be either the leader or amongst the leaders. Uh, you have businesses like you know General Motors. They're coming out with a lot of products in the next 18 to 24 months. They have to prove execution. Ford, I think, is, is doing a very nice job with their new EVs. And, you know, Hyundai, Kia. Uh, so I think there's going to be a number of winners and not just one. Mark, if you had to look, I mean, some of the proclamations that we have heard, though, that there has to be $10 trillion in spending, that we should get to all EV vehicles and all electric vehicles. Um, those still seem a little crazy to me. Well, you know, you have to look at the time frame folks are, are laying out. You know, if you look at what Tesla mentioned yesterday, you know, they want to get to a run rate of 20 million units of production by the end of the decade. I don't see how that's feasible when you look at the not only the capital expenditures involved, but you have to get the supply base up and running. Uh, you have to uh, be able to, you know, be able to execute in a, in a very tight time frame. But over the arc of time, I think you're going to see the entire industry, you know, have a number of stranded assets from as ICE vehicles kind of melt away over time. But it's going to take a long time. But this transition is happening. And the question is, you know, what's the cost and, and are investors going to uh, want to provide the capital? What are the costs and does it work if you don't have federal governments subsidizing all of it? I mean, it, to me, that's the biggest question. If you have a new administration that comes in and doesn't see things the way this administration does, does that stuff get stripped out and then what? Because it's still expensive, as you mentioned. You can't get to that $30,000, $35,000 price range. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it, over time, I think these businesses are going to work their way uh, down the economic curve to make these vehicles more uh, affordable. And you're right, Becky. Right now, a lot of the transition to EVs is being you know, subvened and supported by federal incentives, whether it's in the U.S. or Europe or China. Eventually, those will go away. But I do think the demand for EVs, ultimately, it's around demand. And, uh, you know, over time, I do think that this industry is going to transition, uh, but it's going to take a long arc and period of time, to your point. Mark, always great to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Becky. Next on Squawk Pod, air travel in the clear, maybe. CEO of biometric security company Clear says consumers are on the move. Planes are full, airports are busy, and her security lanes are right in the middle of the action. Karen Seidman-Becker joins us. Travelers so want a friction-free, predictable experience like they're having in so many other places in their life, and that is the new customer expectation. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by Joe in three... Two, one, his mic, two. Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick, and uh, there's an empty seat uh, and an empty place in my heart. Empty place in my heart. Andrew's He'll off. He'll be back tomorrow. He'll be back tomorrow. Yep, that's, that's, uh, that, that was it. There's, there's no one there. <laughs> Biometric security company Clear reporting a solid quarter. On the call with analysts, executives cited strong traveler demand as the travel industry bounces back from the COVID slowdown. 
Joining us right now is Karen Seidman-Becker, who is the CEO of Clear. And if you want to take a look at the stock right now, you can see for one year it's up about 11.7%. Uh, Karen, thanks for coming in this morning. Great to be here, um, potential Clear members. Yeah, I know. We were just complaining we were. about how complicated it is to get through airports these days. I know Joe and I are both Clear members, but not for the airports. We're Clear members for things well, like we the Yankees games. And we want to But I don't want to visit the airport. We're going to make it, it easy for you. Our job is to make experiences safer and easier. But what, what are you seeing right now just in terms of what a pain it is to go through airports? And I'm saying this as somebody who's been through a bunch of airports in the last six or eight weeks. Right. So we reported fourth quarter earnings yesterday, which were strong and capped off a great year at Clear with bookings up 55 percent. Enrollment growth up 48% and the beloved free cash flow up over 200%. Right. Um, what we are seeing in airports is that travel is hard and getting harder. And travelers so want a friction-free, predictable experience like they're having in so many other places in their life. And that is the new customer expectation. You know, we now say that every day is like the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So that's what we're seeing. What, what happened? Is it just that there's so much so many people who are traveling, or has there been some compound effect from other things happening at the airport? I think that this is step function coming out of COVID, and I think you have various things at play. We are incredibly bullish on the travel industry and think the surge is going to continue. I think you have sort of a coiled spring of people who stayed home for three years. I think you have a hybrid work environment where people say on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I can work from someplace else. I think you have a shared economy. So when you see the Airbnbs of the world and hotel stocks at their high, that would argue that it's complementary, not competitive. So you have infinite room nights, but not necessarily infinite seats on airplanes. By our numbers, you're going to have another million travelers coming through airports by 2030, up from two and a half million today. That is 40% growth. It is amazing. I was in uh, Miami this week with our teams. Miami seat capacity from 2019 is up 25%. So I do not see any end. People love traveling. The White Lotus, there's going to be a third season. Right? Think about it. I, mean, I want to go to Hawaii and Sicily. I'd have to see the first two seasons. You haven't seen? I haven't either. It's I'm all about. I'm a working mom of three. I, I, I haven't seen, seen White seen Lotus. Either. It's all about great, great vacations. Okay. Yeah. We're a lot of stuff. There you happening. go. Yeah. Let, me, let me ask you this, though. If, this is all built on this expectation that people have excess cash, that people have the ability to get away for these long weekends like you've talked about, because we've heard CEOs complain about it constantly. Joe, I know you've listened to this, too. Mm -hmm. CEOs who say, our employees aren't there on Mondays and Fridays. If they crack down on that like they want to, if consumers don't have the cash savings that they've had up to this point, then what? If there's an economic downturn, does that kind of blow Cer away everybody's growth expectations? Look, certainly there's always been an economic sensitivity to travel, so I'm not gonna be the one who says it does not exist anymore. All that being said, business travel has just started coming back. So I think that there's a balance because you are seeing that return. It was very low over the past few years. So even an economic slowdown, you're working off low bases from business travel. People haven't seen their customers for years. Like I've been Zooming on CNBC, so happy to be here in person. So I think that the shared economy piece is going to continue to drive it. And even if you're going Saturday and Sunday and not Friday through Monday, I think the globalization, the desire to travel, the internet has made it so accessible. Also costs, you know, while many ticket prices are absolutely up, there are other ways to find lower cost opportunities to travel. Um, so I just, I think this is a really strong secular trend. People love to travel and have experiences. You can also argue, are you saving money on one thing but spending it on the experience economy? Are, are you beefing up your presence in more airports? Because it does seem to me like it's, um a bigger presence than it used to be, which is... We are growing our networks, our products, and our partners. So we launched our 51st airport this week in Kansas City. 
Uh, we had a record number of launches last year. We added eight airports last year and three in the first two months of this year. We've been adding more products reserve. We want to build products for all travelers, whether you travel once a year or once a week. So reserve is free. You make a reservation for a TSA lane just like you do for a, reser- uh, for a restaurant. We're doing that internationally and domestically. We're excited. We got an authority to operate for pre-check. So we'll be bringing that out this year, pre-check enrollment provided by Clear. We want to build products for all travelers to make it safer and easier. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that, I mean, literally, we, we screen trillions of people to find dozens. And if there's a way to make that easier for, for us trillions that have no ill intentions, I mean, it's a pain. It's unbelievable that we have to do that for literally a needle in a, hi, a, a haystack. But we found another explosive device just the other day that was going to go on. But you got to do it. But if you can do it something, something like this... I think it, it obviously helps a lot. Got to make it safer and easier. Got to work together to do it. Karen, thanks for coming in. Great to see you in person. Thank you. Great to be here. And that's the pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 